Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On March 6, 2009, a single mom was settling in for a quiet evening at home. Her two daughters, Amanda and Samantha, were with their father for the weekend, so she had the house to herself. It had been a busy week at work, so Nancy Moyer was looking forward to relaxing with a glass of wine. But that Sunday, when Bill Moyer came to her home to drop off their daughters, he found the front door open, the television on, but no Nancy. Since that day, there have been several suspects, including a convicted murderer, a suspicious co-worker, and even a man who confessed to her murder, but no arrests. Thirteen years later, Nancy's daughters are still actively searching for both their mother and for justice. When a person goes missing, there's a special kind of pain in the not knowing. I want to tell you the stories of those who never came home. Today, I want to tell you the story of Nancy Moyer. I'm Kona Gallagher. And I'm Ethan Flick. And this is And Then They Were Gone. Welcome back. Thank you for, for joining us. Again. If you listened to our episode last week, or if you're on our Patreon, you know that uh, the the podcaster's worst nightmare happened to us, and I lost the entire episode. So this is a two-parter, and part two's fine. It is doing great. Part one, gone. Gone forever. So we do have to re-record part one. If you are on our Patreon, you will get both parts, you know, pretty much at the same time. And if you are not, you will get part two next week. But, you know, if you've listened to our show before, you know that the whole kind of deal with it is that I do all the work. Ethan is just a pretty face and (laughs) he (laughs) doesn't know about these stories before we record so this is different in that he does because we have recorded this. Yes. However, I have a terrible memory. Yeah, literally. It's 50 first dates like every single day. So it's almost like I'm hearing it again. Yeah, honestly, I think you probably remember nothing. But if 
if some of what I say in part two doesn't really match up with what I was saying or thinking in part one, now you know the reason why, because this is us redoing this. Yeah, a little out of order. So, you know, listen, we're doing our best here. But this case, you know, even though it was 2009, it has had movement recently. And I think that it got a lot of attention a few years ago. There were some big bombshells, but it's gone a little bit quiet again. So I think it's really important to get Nancy's story out there continuously to kind of keep the momentum going and hopefully finally get some answers for, you know, her daughters and her other loved ones. So right now, let's get into the story of Nancy Moyer. Nancy Kareem Hedlund was born on November 22, 1972 in Olympia, Washington. She has at least one sister named Sharon Wilbur. Nancy was bright and friendly, like the type of person who fit in with all of the high school cliques and got along with everyone. After high school, she attended Central Washington University, where she studied accounting. And I mean, you can kind of guess this because she studied accounting, but like she was a go-getter. She knew what she wanted and she was determined to build this career for herself, though she probably didn't expect to fall in love in the process. While she was still in college, Nancy had an internship at an agricultural company. It was there that she met her future husband, Bill Moyer. Bill was 24 at the time and working full-time at the company. The two also went to the same gym, and it kind of sounds like Bill started chatting her up there, and soon the pair began dating. Their relationship continued as Nancy finished college, and shortly after graduation, they, they were married. Nancy wasn't putting her career on hold, though. Within the year, she landed her dream job as a fiscal analyst at the Washington State Department of Ecology. She hadn't been there long, though, when she discovered that she was pregnant. And rather than seeing this as a career setback or anything like that, like Nancy was thrilled because being a mother was another dream that she had had her entire life. Since Nancy was the type of person who brought people together and was friends with everyone, her work colleagues basically became a second family to her. And like family, they were thrilled for her pregnancy. In July of 1997, Nancy gave birth to her daughter, Amanda. Just over two years later, in November of 99, her daughter, Samantha, was born. By all accounts, including from her daughters, Nancy was a devoted mother. She loved her kids. She always worked hard to make birthdays and holidays extra special for them. She and Bill were really living like the perfect suburban life. They had their home, children, and great jobs. They were the family that would have barbecues and entertain. And Nancy basically achieved all of her goals at a pretty young age. But that also turned out to be the problem. She did everything young. As the years went on, Nancy became more successful in her job. She raised her children, but she felt as though something was missing. She started reflecting on what she had missed by being in a serious relationship during college and marrying right after and, you know, getting the job and having the babies and like doing all these things that she thought she was supposed to do because she had been on a track, but as she entered her 30s, she started to wonder if maybe there was more out there for her. In 2007, she and Bill separated after 11 years of marriage. As devoted as Nancy was as a mother, Bill was as devoted as a father. 
and the split was not acrimonious. He seemed to accept that they had grown apart, and they both wanted to make sure their daughters were always put first. Bill was interviewed on an episode of Disappeared where he said that they really didn't have many arguments about like how to raise the kids or visitation or where everyone would live, anything like that. In fact, though they weren't planning on getting back together, they had also never bothered to get divorced. So there wasn't a formal custody or child support arrangement in place. Like, you know, there wasn't a court battle or anything that you hear a lot in these stories. Like they just kind of worked it out on their own. And I can identify with that because that's exactly what happened when my parents split as well. Like I, they were married for years after they separated, like legally, you know, obviously they were not together, but it just wasn't important to them to get divorced. Like it just seems like a pain, I guess, more than anything else. So like they never bothered to do it. I mean, for years. So I, you know, I get it. Well, as somebody who has been divorced several times, (laughs) as you love to point out, uh, it is a major pain. Yeah. Like, it's a tremendous pain in the ass to actually go through all the the legal hoops to get divorced. So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound fun. No, and I totally understand like the thought of not being in a rush because you know, hey, if you have everything figured out, child custody, yeah, houses, money, money whatever, yeah, who the hell cares? Yeah, exactly. And like, neither one of them was, you know looking to get remarried or anything like that. Like that wasn't why they separated, you know, they just kind of like Nancy, especially I can't speak for Bill, but you know, it seems like Nancy just really kind of wanted to discover herself. It wasn't about like moving on with another person or anything like that. Right. So yeah, you know, it's, it's fine. Like, and listen, I just get not wanting to bother. Like it's the main reason I didn't change my name when we got married because it just seemed difficult and annoying. (laughs) Bill stayed in the family home on Sheldon Lane in Rochester, Washington, and Nancy moved into a little two-bedroom house in Tenino. Even though Nancy was in a different town, her new home was only about a 10-minute drive away. The girls stayed with her during the week and went with their father on the weekends. Nancy continued to hang out with her friends from work, but also started going out more and meeting new people. I'm going to talk about her colleague and friend, Bev Poston, a lot because, like, Talk about a friend. This woman searched tireless for Nancy and still is to this day. On that episode of Disappeared, she said something that makes complete sense to me. As Nancy started to go out and meet more people, she started realizing that men were attracted to her. And even though Nancy had always been beautiful and smart and friendly, like, she had been with the same man since college. So to her, the idea that other people out there would find her attractive and interesting was kind of novel to her. And I, you know, I think that feeling is something that a lot of people who date after a divorce or a separation or a long-term relationship of some sort can relate to, you know, you're just in this one place for so long. And then you realize like, oh, there are people who see me outside of this. That's weird. For sure, but the you know, there's also the understanding that those people have probably been hit on and they were just not aware. <laughs> Much like you. All right. <laughs> In addition to dating, Nancy also did fun things that she kind of missed out on, like getting tattoos. 
And you can definitely tell she was making up for her lost college days when she got these, which is why I absolutely love them. They are all brightly colored. They're, she got like six of them. And they're very much college girl tattoos. So there's an armband with hearts and flowers and stars, uh, a Playboy bunny, a butterfly, a few more tattoos of flowers. And like on her foot, she had a pair of cherries. And inside of the like the cherries, one was an A and one had an S for Amanda and Sam. But even though she was out there reliving her lost youth, Nancy wasn't being reckless or anything like that. She was still a mother with a prestigious government job. So, you know, we're not talking drugs or like excessive drinking or anything like that. We're not talking huge risk factors here. No, just going out and enjoying her weekends. Yeah, just like normal stuff that you can do when you're single. Like her biggest vice was cigarettes. Gross. Yeah, I mean, completely. But again, not something that's going to make you more likely to be a victim of a crime. Yeah. On that Friday, March 6th, Nancy was driving home with her colleague, a guy named Matthew Vandrush. Their office was in Lacey, Washington, right outside of Olympia. It was about 30 minutes away, so they carpooled. And that day, it was Matthew's turn to drive. On the drive back to Tonino, the two chatted about weekend plans. Matthew says that Nancy told him that despite not having the girls that weekend, she was planning on staying home and relaxing. Matthew dropped Nancy off at her home as usual, like between 5.30 and 6 p.m. Later that evening, around 6.45, Nancy went to the nearby Thriftway Market to pick up two bottles of wine, cigarettes, and a microwave dinner. Party. Like, honestly, I related to this so hard. I mean, not the cigarettes, but everything else. I'm just like, yes, like that is a Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> Now, we do know these specifics because the receipt was found in her home. So we do know those are the items she bought. We know that that is the time she bought them, and she paid with a check in addition. Right. So Matthew was not the last person to see her alive. Exactly. He was the last person she knows, um, but not the last person in general. And of course, we'll get more into all of that as well. Yeah, because right now... Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, right? Matthew's not looking good right now. Last person to see her that knew her and knew her schedule, knew that she'd be in for the night. Nancy lived off of a major highway, and apparently police officers frequently set up speed traps like right in front of her house. And the officer who was working that evening says that he saw a woman he believed to be Nancy return home with grocery bags. And so this is all consistent with what she told Matthew, that she was having a quiet night at home. It's consistent with her purchases at the grocery store. Like, everything's adding up. She also didn't mention any plans on Saturday to Matthew when they were driving home. And Nancy's sister, Sharon, also spoke with her. Um, at some point that Friday, I don't know what time, if it was like during the day while she was at work, it was, if it was after she got home or what, but she says that when she spoke with her, that Nancy didn't mention having any plans that weekend. So when no one saw Nancy on Saturday, it, it wasn't alarming because nobody was expecting to see her on Saturday. Right. So then on Sunday afternoon, Bill went to Nancy's house like he always did to drop off their kids. But when he got there, Nancy's front door was just sitting open. And that was strange, obviously, 
But, you know, like Nancy's car was there, so he just assumed, you know, she was going in and out or whatever, like she didn't close the door. I mean, it wasn't something that made him nervous necessarily. It was just a little bit odd. So he and the girls went into the house, but Nancy wasn't there. So at this point, he's still thinking that she just ran out for a few minutes. It's weird she didn't close the door, but not the weirdest, I guess. But then, you know, while they were kind of waiting around for her, he noticed that her purse, her cell phone, her keys, and her cigarettes had all been left behind. Did he touch any of these things that we know of? Not that we know of. That's never been mentioned in anything. Okay. And so he started to get concerned. And it's interesting. So the the purse and the keys and the the phone were kind of all out, like just in her house. I don't know exactly where they were, but you know, wherever she would usually leave them, like not an abnormal place. But the cigarettes and her lighter were actually out on her porch on this little table that she had out front because she would usually just sit in this chair and smoke outside. So they were in a place, I mean, so we're assuming that she was outside smoking. At some point. Yeah. yeah. Like they were in a normal place, but like, so not everything wasn't together, but they were all in places where they should have been. Mm-hmm. When he sees all of this stuff here and she's not immediately back, Bill starts to get concerned. But, you know, nothing looked amiss in the house. Like there's no chairs toppled over or anything like that. I mean, it truly looked like she had just stepped out for a minute. There was even a glass of wine on the table with an empty glass next to it, and the TV was on. Uh, The second glass. Yeah, so the second glass was empty in that it didn't appear that anything had ever been poured in it. It wasn't empty in that somebody had finished it. Right, but, I mean, you don't just pull out two wine glasses if you're planning on a night alone. Yeah, no, exactly. But again, like, you know, Bill didn't know that, like, what her plans had been that oh, weekend, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, right. yeah. So he's like, okay, this is weird. So they waited around for a little while because they assumed she had to have been coming back, but she didn't. And so eventually Bill took the girls back to his house. And this is not like Nancy. I mean, Nancy is very responsible. Like, she was rarely ever late when it came to, you know, pick up and drop off of their kids. And she certainly never just blew it off. So he was not panicked at first, but just very confused, like did not know what was happening. So when he got back to his house, he started calling around to Nancy's friends and family. But no one had heard from her or seen her or anything. So Bill is like, you know, obviously getting more concerned, but trying not to panic. And so he just kept the girls with him. And it wasn't until the next morning when Nancy didn't show up for work that Bill knew, yeah, like we can't deny this anymore. Something is horribly wrong. The next morning, which was Monday morning, Bill called police and reported her missing. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The housing market may be crazy, but you still need a place to live. Hey, it's me, Kona Gallagher, host of the very podcast you're listening to right now. True crime may be one of my passions, but my other one is real estate. For those of you who don't know, I'm a realtor with Compass based in Northern Virginia. My specialty is Loudoun County, but I work all over the region helping my clients achieve their real estate goals. There are so many opportunities in the market right now, but I found that a lot of people are afraid to jump in. But you've got me, and I'm here to answer all of your questions and guide you through the process of buying or selling your home. And if you want a little behind the scenes info on the podcast, I'll throw that in as well. Interested in making your next move? Call or text me at 571-577-6383. That's 571-577-6383. I'm licensed in Virginia and look forward to helping you on your journey home. Tonino police started an investigation and then immediately called in the Thurston County Sheriff's Department because Tonino is a tiny town. The population that I read was like 7,000. And I don't know if that was then or now or whatever, but it's it's a tiny town. Well, I mean, good good for them for realizing their limitations, you know. Yeah, exactly. Not so, not limitations on training or capability, but I on mean, numbers, just, on bodies, on yeah, like resources, yeah, whatever. I, assuming if it, if it's a town with seven thousand people, the police department's going to be pretty small. So yeah, so it sounds like they they brought in Thurston County like almost immediately. So they went in and searched Nancy's home. And of course, they're looking for signs of a break-in, a struggle, you know, anything that would make sense as to like why Nancy had not returned, but they didn't find anything. They collected the two wine glasses and the bottle that were on the coffee table, but the only fingerprints on them belonged to Nancy. However, they did find a few interesting messages on her answering machine. And, you know, this is 2009, and so people still had landlines in 2009, and yes, she had a cell phone or whatever, but she also had a physical answering machine that you could just press play. She didn't, you didn't need her password, you didn't need anything like that. So they were able to listen to her messages very quickly. And what they found is that a man named Jim had left two messages for Nancy. One referenced a date on Saturday. Of course, police were interested because, you know, they didn't have very many clues. So they were wondering, could this man have seen Nancy on Saturday? Now, they went and asked friends and family of Nancy's if they knew Jim, but no one knew who that could have been. Like, the man didn't give his full name because that would be a weird thing to say on a message when you're talking about a date. He just said it's Jim. But yeah, nobody who knew Nancy knew who Jim was. So while they were running down this lead, detectives focused on one of the oddest elements of this this disappearance, which was the open door. 
And this was very interesting to me, like what they did with this. They actually checked with the utility company and found that electric usage spiked between 9 p.m. and midnight on Friday. And this led investigators to believe that Nancy disappeared sometime Friday night or early Saturday morning. And, you know, the reason they came to this conclusion is because this is early March in Washington state. So it got cold at night. Yeah, that's that's actually really smart. Yeah. And so her heat would have been on. If the doors open, your heat's going to go up. Your power usage is going to spike. And yeah, and, that, and it started around 9 p.m. apparently. I mean, that's that's brilliant. That narrows the timeline down. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Now, of course, the first thing they considered when they went in and didn't find signs of struggle or anything like that was that Nancy could have... Hoagied it? <laughs> yes, picked up and started a new life. She was apparently in a good amount of debt, like just credit card debt, not like to loan sharks or anything like that. But, you know, regardless, they speculated that she could have run away to avoid that. But that was dumb, and fortunately, they dismissed it pretty quickly. The next obvious place to go was the estranged husband. Right. Like, yeah. It's got to yeah. be your number one suspect. Yeah, absolutely. So they interviewed Bill. You know, they gave him a polygraph. They checked his alibi, but everything checked out. He passed the polygraph. He just seemed very concerned about where Nancy was. Yeah, and his daughters were with him. Yeah, Exactly. And they were with him like the entire weekend. I mean, I don't know specifically what his alibi was, but like basically it was just with his kids all weekend. Yeah. And investigators and they did something that, you know, he later went on and, you know, did interviews and said he appreciated, which I'm sure he did, um, because a lot of family members don't get this. Investigators publicly like went on national news and said that he was not a suspect. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. Like specifically, they went on Nancy Grace and said that. And, you know, like she's like all about like hanging people and whatever. <laughs> Murderous but... ex-husbands. Exactly. And yeah. so they said like, no, it's not this guy. Wow. Yeah. Very early on, like within the first month of the investigation, you know, all right, if it's not Bill, then you got to kind of just work the timeline, right? Matthew. Exactly. That's got to be Matthew. That's who they went to next. Well, not exactly next. First, they spoke to, like, they went in the actual timeline. So they spoke to the police officer who was, like, the last any person to report seeing Nancy. Yeah, but they're not going to, that's, yeah, that's to, uh, you know, confirm the timeline, not. Not, yeah. Not to narrow down suspects. Right. So they spoke to him. They went to the grocery store. They, you know, spoke to the manager. They spoke to the people who were working, said like, hey, do you remember Nancy? Do you know, was she with anybody? Was she alone? Was there anybody who was like following her, looking at her weird, anything like that? And it didn't seem like people really remembered her being in there or if they did, nothing like stuck out about it. Right. So, like, no creepy guy in a trench coat or, you know, anything like that. Why has it got to be a trench coat? I mean, because that's the universal symbol of creepy guys. Everybody knows that. Like, come on. So, we confirmed the timeline. That's about it. So, yes. Then, they went to Matthew. Police, you know, were, of course, wondering if, like, he was perhaps more than a friend, more than a coworker, more than just some guy she carpooled with. Despite the fact that he was married, 
As if that stopped anybody before. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it was kind of interesting. Um, when I was researching this, I found the Web Sleuths posts, like the original ones from March of 2009. So these posts are being made in real time as information was being released on this case. And there were several that said that this dude was suspicious as hell. Web Sleuths people in 2009 did not like this guy. Shortly after Nancy's disappearance, he started a website, nancymoyer.com. All of this like was great because it had all of her information. It had pictures of her. It had like the circumstances of her disappearance. It was just an easy place to point people to, to, you know, disseminate information. But he would also write these blog posts that really struck people as weird. The website no longer exists, but because these web sleuths posts were happening contemporaneously, there was somebody who like copy and pasted one. Yeah, because everything exists all the time on the internet. You can never get rid of things on the internet. Once it once it's out there, it's out there. Yeah. All right. So this is one of the blog posts. Quote. You should see the love around here. Someone brought in donuts on Friday when we got the stack of flyers. Sorry, I know you hate missing treat days. If it's any consolation, Debbie has been ready to make raised dips since Monday, but she said we'll wait because it's your favorite. Talk about loyalty. Seriously, though, everyone's real worried and we're working real hard to find you. I need you to be strong for us and hang it in there a little longer. I can't tell you how many people are pulling for you. Please be strong. We all miss you. Talk to you again soon. Matthew. End quote. Thumbs down button, man. Like, it's yeah, it's fucking creepy. Yeah. You know, on so many levels. It's like, okay, if, if that's your coping mechanism, like, don't put that online. You know? Yeah, but, you know, it's 2009. We were, like, people just put everything online. Like, we didn't know. I didn't. No, honey, you didn't know how to use a computer. <laughs> just... It just seems so fucking weird. I know, I know, but like you've never, yeah, that's just never been your realm. I had MySpace. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote things on MySpace. So I don't know if police talked to Matthew before or after this, so I don't know if like these blog posts made them suspicious at all. It should (laughs) have. Or like what it was. Hang it in there a little longer. Yeah. But people on the internet were definitely not into it. I'm on their side. But Matthew was with his wife and son all weekend. In fact, his wife was also friends with Nancy and ran that website with him. And their co-workers vouched for Matthew as well. They said that the relationship between Matthew and Nancy was definitely more of like a brother-sister vibe than anything else. I'm not buying it yet. I just, I just don't. He had a very strong alibi. Like he was at like, you know, baseball, like his kids' baseball games. Like he was just out and about all weekends. Like it was just easily verifiable. Everybody vouched for him. Like he just actually just seems like a normal guy. Nancy lived in a rural area. So police started conducting searches in the woods and other areas around her home. But Bev, her friend from work, didn't think that they were doing enough, so she and some of Nancy's co-workers organized their own searches. They put up flyers, they gathered volunteers, and they got out there to try to find Nancy. 
I mentioned before that Nancy had been going out and meeting new people, but the problem was when it came to investigating her disappearance is that she was very discreet about anyone she may have been seeing. She never brought them back to her house, and she seemingly only dated casually. And while that's perfectly acceptable and probably smart for, you know, a newly single mother of two, it presented police with problems. For sure. You know, at this point, because they don't know who they're supposed to be interviewing. Right. So then they have to look at places that she frequented. Yeah. And, and, so that's, and then try to narrow figure it, it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which right? is like next to impossible. Yeah. Well, luckily... Like I said, Tanino's a small town, so I think there are only like so many places she could have gone. Yeah. So at least that was a little bit easier. Like she wasn't in New York City or anything like that. You know, so I think they were able to figure out pretty quickly at least like where she would hang out and that kind of information. And yeah, they did exactly what you said. Like they went there, they talked to bartenders, they talked to, you know, staff and whatever and was like, hey, have you seen this woman? Did she come in here? Who was she with? And from there, they did find some men that she had like dated or hung out with or whatever. And they were able to start interviewing some people. But even once they figured all this stuff out and started talking to people, nobody knew who Jim was. And I will say, I mean, and I didn't write this in, this is just kind of an aside. Um, there was one guy that she had gone out with for a while, and they found him through these conversations at different bars or whatever. Um, and they interviewed him, and he was like, yeah, like, we dated for a little while. We broke up. I actually broke it off. It happens, you know, whenever. He had an alibi. He's like, it wasn't a big deal. And they cleared him. So... Not by the name of James. Or- no, no. He, I mean, he was just some other guy. They hadn't seen each other in months by that point. But the point is, is that like police found him, you know? Yeah, and- it shows that they were actually doing their job. Right. And doing and- it well. Yeah, and that wasn't somebody who like Nancy's friends and family said, oh, you should talk to X right. or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. So I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. Investigators, of course, went to Nancy's office to interview her friends and co-workers since she was so close to many of them. And they did clear basically everyone. And Bev said she actually came on that Web Sleuths forum and did some posts. And on one of them, she said, she's like, yeah, I don't know. They interviewed like a lot of us. They gave several people polygraphs. She said it was fine. It seems like everybody was cleared, except there was one guy who just made detectives feel weird. Like, they just saw this one dude, and they're like, hmm. And it wasn't Matthew? It was not. It was somebody else we've talked about. James. (laughs) Yeah, it was Jim. Police soon realized that this co-worker, Jim Roth, was the Jim who had left those messages on Nancy's machine the weekend she disappeared. And remember, he was, like, trying to get together for a date. And I really wish that at some point they would have released either the recording of these voicemails or like the transcript or just, I don't know, something because police have openly given interviews and talked about these voicemails over the years. It's not like they're trying to like hold them back or whatever, but it's unclear 
the context. I'm not 100% sure if he was confirming a date that they had already made or if he was trying like to set in one a, up. In a future, on a future Saturday. No, that Saturday. Or maybe even I think it was, that Saturday? Yeah, I think it was clear that it was that Saturday he was referring to. But what I don't know was, because if they're, you know, they're coworkers, so if like they had already made these plans to meet on Saturday and he's calling her about that date they had already planned, or if he's calling her to try to ask her out I gotcha. for that Saturday. Yeah. And Which he either, I mean, if she is as discreet about her dating life as you say she is, mm-hmm. if she's dating somebody from work, she wouldn't have told Matthew that she was going out with Jim. Right. And, or Bev, you know, apparently, cause she didn't know about it either. Right. You know? And so, but I think knowing that detail would shed more light on the nature of their relationship. Right. Like, was this something that was actually a thing that was going point, on right? or whether or it was is this just some guy she works with trying, trying. Yeah, yeah. to make something happen that to me is is important in this context yeah no it absolutely is yeah and unfortunately like we don't know so anyway if i'm a detective my first red flag other than the guy's just general nervous and creepy demeanor that the police notice at the office is that he hadn't come forward with this information. Right. By this point, when they're interviewing all of these people, Nancy had been missing for a week or so, but he never called police or like volunteered the information and said, Hey, I was actually trying to get in touch with Nancy last weekend. Like, or Hey, we actually had plans to meet and she didn't show whatever the case may have been. Right. Hey, I, I called and left a voicemail. I was trying to set something up. Yeah. Set up a date, whatever. Like, yeah. whatever it was. Like, if you're just, you know, the worried coworker slash dude she's seeing, that seems to me something you would tell the police about before they had to like dig around and figure out who you are. Right. So, investigators brought Jim Roth, you know, into the station for an interview. And he tells them that he and Nancy had been out a few times most recently a few weeks before her disappearance. He also says that Nancy spent the night at his apartment one night. And and this is like where I don't understand why. But he tells police that, like, yes, we hooked up, but I had trouble performing. Oh, Jim. Like, why? Like, tell them... That you hooked up, like, that's helpful information in an investigation like this. But, like, you don't need to go. Like, why? I can't, for the life of me, Monday morning quarterbacking this 13 years later, figure out, like, what he was trying to accomplish with that. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it just doesn't make any sense because it's it's not like it, it would. I mean, maybe he was concerned about, maybe he was concerned about them finding, like, epithelial skin DNA yeah, somehow but this or, was or whatever weeks before her disappearance. And it was at his place, not hers. So like, there's no, and, and also like, just leave it at you hooked up. Like, <laughs> I mean, I agree. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't understand that. Like, no, it's so weird. Sympathy. I, maybe. I mean, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I need the psychologist to weigh in. Cause I don't get it. So anyway, 
he like goes on. He's like, yeah, so that happened. But she stayed the night anyway. I made her breakfast the next morning and she left. Oh. No. No, no. it still doesn't matter because this is weeks before her disappearance. No, but maybe maybe this is him trying to build this relationship up in a, or, or trying to show that this relationship was was more than what it actually was. Okay. Why I mean, do you I, no, say I still, that I still, you couldn't no, perform? I, yeah, I still don't <laughs> understand that. But like, may, maybe he's like trying to, uh, okay, leave that part out. Like, but she stayed anyway. Yeah, and like I whatever, fine. Romantic breakfast. Good for or, her. You could just say she stayed I, over. I, I don't know. I'm I'm speculating here. It's, it's, but it's just, like it still doesn't make sense. So of course, police were like, okay, cool story, but I'm more interested in where you were the weekend of March 6th. Right. Particularly on Friday night during that window, they believe she went missing. Jim tells them that he and his wife are separated, and it seems like it, that was pretty recent. And so he and his two sons were at his apartment that night. That Friday night, he was at his apartment with them. He never left because, you know, he wouldn't leave his son's home alone. But how old are his kids? Well, exactly. So I did snooping, obviously. And if I'm correct, what it seems like is that his kids were like 8 and 14. So old enough that he could have actually left them. Yeah, like if they were It's not, it's not like they were toddlers. Well, exactly. Like if they were asleep, I mean, if they were awake and he left, like obviously they would notice. If they were both asleep and he left, he could do whatever he needed to do, nefarious or not, and then come back and everything would be fine. They're old enough that he wouldn't worry about them like dying if he was gone for a few hours or whatever. Regardless, that's his alibi. He was home with his kids on Friday night. Her friends kind of made the point that I did. We're like, okay, well, but he could have put them to bed and he could have left after that. So that in their eyes, and I mean her family and friends, not necessarily the police, you know, it didn't clear Jim. Not that police cleared him either, but, you know. So Jim says that he never went to Nancy's home on Friday because he was with his kids. But then he tells them, oh, but I did go over on Saturday and I went into her house. What? Yeah. By the way, information he did not volunteer. That's my biggest problem. I mean, also, I'll tell you about the circumstances and they're weird. So, like, that's another thing. But he did not volunteer this before they brought him into the police station. So, this dude, who was not her boyfriend or anything, like just some guy who had gone out with her a few times weeks ago and they worked together, he got. So worried when she didn't return his calls on Friday that on Saturday he drove over to her house. And, you know, again, I mentioned that I was nosy and I believe that I found his apartment at the time, which was in Olympia, uh, which was near their office, but a half an hour away from her house. So not in any feasible route that he would have. like. No stumbled across her apartment. No, it's one thing if like he was in Tenino and she was in Olympia and then he could have been like, well, you know, I had to go to Olympia for whatever. And so I thought I'd stop by and see how yeah, she's who, doing. Who goes to Tenino? Yeah, nobody goes to Tenino on a Saturday randomly. Like that's not a thing. You don't know. Maybe they have a good diner. <laughs> I mean, maybe they do. Anyway, so 
regardless of his like pretense, other than being so worried that she would dare not return his call, he went to her house, saw that her car was there, parked, went up to her front door, saw that it was open and went, oh, all right, I guess I'll just go in, goes into her house and it's a small house. So like, you know, it's not super weird that he was basically in her entire house because this thing's like under a thousand square feet. But he like goes back to the bedroom and is like, Nancy, it's not there. He goes, huh, that's weird. And then leaves the house and leaves the door open, gets into his car, goes home, doesn't tell anybody for over a week. After she's reported missing. That's just him coming up with an excuse as to why they may find something DNA related to him in the apartment. Yeah, exactly. Because all of her friends and her family are like, yeah, she didn't bring dudes over. So, and nobody knew about Jim in general. Right. So there is no like reasonable explanation for him to have his prints or his DNA or anything in her house. So this gives him that excuse to be in the house, but not during the time frame when she was potentially abducted. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, so again, it's like different from Bill, who I'm sure they found his prints in the house, right? Because he was there like every single week yeah. dropping their kids off. Yeah. You that, know, that's going to happen. Yeah. So, but Jim did not have that excuse so he comes up with this story which is bizarre and you know all of it's bizarre but you know the but fact wait didn't you wasn't this you said this was his weekend with his kids it was S bill oh yeah yeah well no i didn't say weekend so oh he, ju just just friday night he only said of. friday night okay yeah okay yeah because i was gonna say if it was like the right. whole weekend like okay he alibied himself friday night and then he unalibied himself for Saturday? Like Yeah, no, I he never said that he had the kids the entire weekend. Okay, gotcha. Still very dumb to place yourself there. Yeah, the whole thing was bizarre. Unless you're trying to come up with an excuse as to why the police might find some residual DNA of some sort. Well, that yeah. That you were there. Exactly. So everyone thinks the story is weird. The only reason Jim knew where she lived in the first place, apparently, is because he had picked her up there for their date. He had never, like, really been to the house because, like we said, Nancy didn't do that. Police immediately start thinking exactly what you're thinking. Like, is he making this whole story up to explain why they might find fingerprints or whatever in her house? And then, of course, they think it's also weird that he would have left the door open when he left and didn't find her there. And it, like, OK, I get it where, you know, maybe you're like, OK, well, I don't want to close the door because maybe she left it open for a reason or maybe I'll be locking her out or whatever. But it's like it's a door, a normal door, not like a dungeon door or anything or a door to an apartment that locks automatically. Yeah, this is a house. It's just a door. So like, just make sure it's not locked and then close it. <laughs> yeah. like, whatever. It's March in Washington. Yeah. You're letting all the air out. I will say this. There's this repeated theme that she didn't bring guys over to the house. Mm -hmm. So why was there a second wine glass out? That was a question that a lot of people were asking. 
that in and of itself was out of character. Right. So Jim agrees to take a polygraph, but his vitals are completely all over the place. So every answer to every question, even like, what is your name, comes back as a lie. He was just a disaster. So the entire polygraph is useless. So at this moment, Jim is their prime suspect, but other than him just being weird, like they don't have any actual evidence that he had anything to do with Nancy's disappearance. They never did recover any fingerprints or DNA of his from her home, you know, so like if he did make up that story, he didn't need to because they didn't find anything. With all of that, they don't even have enough evidence to search his car, which if they had their way, that would have been their next step. Because Nancy's car was there, so they know she didn't leave in her car. Right. Yeah, that's that's the next logical step of, of the investigation if you are trying to rule somebody out. Right. But you are correct. There is not enough evidence to lead to probable cause for a search warrant. No, and, you know, Jim, apparently, like, even though he was doing things that don't make any sense. He also wasn't just telling the police they could search his car. He at least had that right, I guess. But that was that was it. They couldn't do anything with him. So they just kind of let him go. So for the next year and a half, Bev diligently searched for her friend, determined to bring her home, but the investigation stalled. That is, until a woman was murdered nearby. On August 8th, 2010, police got a weird call. A concerned citizen called 911 and said that a man driving a silver Nissan pickup truck had stopped and asked if anyone could help him move a body. A Thurston County Sheriff's deputy saw the truck and pulled the driver over. Inside, they found the body of 60-year-old Vonda Boone. She was propped up in the passenger seat and wrapped up in sheets, plastic bags, and a sleeping bag. Vonda had been strangled, beaten, and her throat had been slit. The man driving the truck was 26-year-old door-to-door meat salesman Bernard Howell. The company he worked for was actually called the Tenino Meat Company, and Bernard's father helped him start it, so it was like his company. So what does this have to do with Nancy? Other than Tenino being a small town, it turns out that Bernard and Nancy may have crossed paths. Nancy's daughter, Sam, had said that he had come to the house and sold her mother meat. She actually even picked his photo out of a lineup and said that Nancy had bought lemon pepper chicken and either shrimp or prawns. Bill corroborated his daughter's story because he found the meat from the Tenino Meat Company in Nancy's freezer when he had gone to clean out her house. It struck him as weird because in addition to the chicken and seafood, she also had several steaks from the same company and Nancy was basically a vegetarian. Sam doesn't remember her mother buying steaks that day, so she wonders if Bernard could have come back another day. Okay, so we have these two potential times when he could have been there. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's weird that she was quote-unquote basically a vegetarian for her to have meat in the freezer if her kids aren't. Yeah, but, you know, this is also coming from Bill, her husband of 11 years, and her 
kid's other parent, like he still thought that was weird. So it was, you know, maybe she didn't necessarily make the kid's stakes. Like, I don't make steaks for people. That's fair. But you know? you're not basically a vegetarian. You are 100% right. a vegetarian. But still, like, maybe it was something like that because Bill is the one who said that that was weird. And actually, I didn't even think about it until just now. But, you know, when you brought up, like, this whole thing with Nancy didn't bring guys over, but she had that second wine glass. Maybe that also accounts for the steaks in the freezer. Maybe the steaks weren't for her or her kids, but, you know, maybe there was a reason she had them in there. Vegetarians make really good steak. (laughs) Shout out to my sister, who apparently makes the best steak in the world, despite never having eaten one. Don't know how to explain it. Literally the best steak I've ever had. Bernard eventually pled guilty to Vonda's murder, and after that was all settled, police went and interviewed him about Nancy, but Bernard denied having anything to do with her disappearance. He also denied having ever met her or having ever sold her meat. Like, we know that second part isn't true because they found the meat in her freezer. But do we know... Did he have any other employees? It doesn't sound like it because maybe his father occasionally ran routes for him. I don't know. No, it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like maybe his father like helped him get the business started, like give him money or whatever, but But didn't necessarily have hands in the operation. No, I think it was pretty much just him. And at that time, you know, and I don't want to get too much into this guy, but like he, you know, has a history of mental illness and the this meat company that his father helped him start, they had started it in 2008. And apparently, like, it started off pretty well. But as you know, and as uh, many of us, like, Americans know, 2009, the economy tanked. And so, like, his business really was in a downturn at this point. So I don't think that he would have had, like, other employees or, you know, anything like, I think it was pretty much just him and he was barely keeping his head above water. It seems as though Bernard is lying about ever having come across Nancy or, you know, having crossed paths with her. But does that mean that he abducted her? And all right, like you look at it from the perspective of the place where Vonda was grabbed was very close to Nancy's house. However, this guy does not exactly seem like a criminal mastermind. You know, looking back to Vonda's murder, he not only asked a random stranger to help him bury a body, but his initial story to the deputy who pulled him over was that he had found Vonda already dead on a running trail. And so he picked her up and was planning on disposing of her body so that he could save her family money on the burial. Like, he doesn't know her or her family or anything like that, but he is like, listen, a deal's a deal, and 5000 bucks is 5000 bucks. Let me help these people out. Sure. The idea that he apparently abducted and murdered Nancy Moyer 18 months earlier and left zero evidence behind hit her body so well that she hasn't been found for 13 years, like, doesn't seem incredibly likely to me. Yeah, I would agree with that. It doesn't seem like the two have anything in common. I mean, if you're... If you're going to go with the serial killer avenue, like the the victims don't match, which, okay, we've gone down the road. We know that serial killers are not always strict 
with on the type age yeah. or type or whatever, mm-hmm. but MO of abduction or murder that also doesn't match. None of this none of this syncs up. Right. It only matches up geographically. Right. You know, because Tenino is such a small town and it's so weird for two things like this to happen within 18 months of each other. Right, which is another kudos to the police department because like you could very easily dismiss it just like we did here. Yeah, they they didn't dismiss it. And again, like as soon as this made the news, because obviously this the murder of Vonda Boone made the local news, you know, and people immediately started drawing parallels. And so the police kind of had to investigate it. But yeah, and, and they did. Like they investigated, but they didn't find much. You know, it's kind of like with Jim, right? They're like, okay, well, this is weird. He seems like he's maybe lying about parts of this or or whatever it is. But but there's no physical evidence linking yeah, him to it. Yeah, there's no right. Yeah, there's no real link at all. Right. So like, there's nothing they can really do. So it's like, okay, so now at this point, it's a year and a half later. They've you know got Jim. They've got Bernard Howell, who's an actual murderer. But right, but at least they explored that option. Yeah, and and I mean they haven't ruled him out. They're not saying like no, it's not him. Because they don't know. Like, maybe he got lucky and, like, maybe he was just a little more mentally together on March 6th, 2009. And he was able to do a better job with Nancy. And maybe he was, like, decompensating 18 months later when he abducted and murdered Vonda Boone. I don't know. So he wasn't completely ruled out. But again, there just wasn't anything solid there at all. So after this, the case goes cold again. In 2012, it was assigned to a new detective who started from the beginning and re-interviewed everyone whom investigators had spoken with back in 2009, including Jim Roth. And that's where we're going to leave you this week. Next week, we're going to go into phase two of the investigation, So that's basically when it gets assigned to this new detective. We're in 2012, about three years after her disappearance. We'll talk about Jim Roth's re-interview and a new major suspect whom we haven't even mentioned yet. And things get crazy, like just nuts. So thank you for joining us. And as always, part two will be up on our Patreon shortly after this is released, so you don't have to wait long. It will also be ad-free as always. And you can access this in all of our other episodes early and ad-free at patreon.com slash attwgpod. For everyone else, part two will be in your podcast feed next week. Nancy Moyer has been missing from Tenino, Washington since March 6, 2009. She is a white woman with brown hair and brown eyes. She was 4 foot 11 and approximately 115 pounds. She has several tattoos and a scar on her right knee. Her ears and her navel are pierced. Nancy was 36 years old when she went missing. She would be 49 today. 
If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Nancy Moyer or of any of the persons of interest in this case, please call the Thurston County Sheriff's Office at 360-786-5279. You can see all the sources for this episode along with photos and videos at our website and thentheywweregone.com. And be sure to follow us on social and then they were gone pod on Facebook and at ATTWG pod on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe and consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It will help new listeners find us. And the more people that listen, the more chances we have of bringing someone home. And we'll see you here next week for a brand new episode. See you next week. And Then They Were Gone is hosted by Kona Gallagher and Ethan Flick. All research writing and editing is done by Kona Gallagher. Theme music is The Stork by Ketza. Additional music is provided by Kai Engel. And Then They Were Gone is a Little Monster production. Hey, you can do it!